So it is is Palm Sunday, and as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And several days later, on Friday, the crowds are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Now, some commentators go into great detail trying to, to say, well, they must have been two different crowds. Um, I don't think there's anything in the text that says they were two different crowds. Um, and I, d- there's nothing that says they were the same crowd. But I think what the authors of the Gospels are doing here is they're showing the confusion and the misunderstanding of who Jesus was. They did think, as he rode into Jerusalem, they did think he was the Messiah. But in their mind, their picture was of a conquering king like King David, who would throw off the oppression of the Romans. And as it, as we get closer and closer to Good Friday, the religious leaders don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, and the crowd turns, and they, they see that he is not going to do this. And he came not to throw off the oppression of Rome, but to save us from the oppression of sin. Now, I always find that Palm Sunday, because of the crowd, is a, a good time to do some spiritual examination and make sure we are not like the deceived crowd. Second uh, Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves to make sure you are in the faith. So here's what I want to do. You, you see the picture of um, the, the prodigal son returning to the father. And next week on Easter, we're going to look at the younger son returning to the father. Today, I want us to focus on the older brother who, in the story, represents the Pharisees. And if anybody was deceived about uh, their salvation, it was the Pharisees. So um, let me remind you of the setting of why Jesus even tells the parable of the prodigal sons. In Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the Pharisees are quite upset that Jesus hangs out with and eats with sinners. So Jesus tells uh, three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd goes and finds the lost, and then he rejoices. He, he uh, has a party with his shepherd friends when he finds the lost sheep, and he's saying, that's God's heart. He goes after and finds the lost. And then the woman has 10 coins. She loses one, and she searches for it. And when she finds it, she has a celebration with her friends. And and Jesus says that's what's going on in heaven when a lost person is found. Parable of the prodigal sons, which is basically this. The younger son tells the father, hey, dad, drop dead. Give me my share of the inheritance. I don't want you, but I want what you can give me. And he takes it and he goes off 
and and spends it all in his sinful lifestyle and he ends up working on a pig farm he's covered with pig dirt and he repents and he turns and he 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 walks home and the father sees him and he runs to him and he embraces him and he forgives him and he puts a robe on him and they kill the fatted calf and they have a party now here is where the story picks up with the older brother. It says this, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He begged him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice not even my brother, this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So remember... Jesus tells the story because the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners. This older brother represents the Pharisees, represents legalists. Now, here's what I want us to see. We're going to look at the heart of a Pharisee. And by looking at the older brother we can see three marks of Pharisees. And by the way, before you tune this out and you go, oh boy, I sure wish so-and-so were here to hear this, I think every one of us has a little Pharisee or a big Pharisee living inside, all right? So um, do some, some discipline here, and before you apply it to others, say, hmm, does this describe me? Now, here's the three marks of a Pharisee. They have a wrong view of God, a wrong view of themselves, and a wrong view of others. Right? In other words, they have it all wrong. But let's, let's take a look at each of these. They have a wrong view of God. So here's what the older brother says to the father. Look, and, and by the way, even the younger son, when the younger son addresses his father, he calls him father. But this son is so disrespectful, he doesn't even address his father with the title father. He just say, look, these many years I have served you. And the NIV translates it this way. Look, these many years I have slaved for you. So what's... What's his wrong view of God? Of course, the father in the story represents God. The older brother, the Pharisee, sees God 
as an ungracious master that he's enslaved to rather than a gracious father who loves him. His view of God is that of a slave master. Now, I think we need to be careful here because we still need to retain a view that God the Father is holy, holy, holy. He is the just judge of the universe. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. So we need to maintain a view of God's holiness and his majesty. But at the same time, don't forget some of the, the other analogies that God uses and Jesus uses of himself. For example, a couple weeks ago, we saw that Jesus says, I long to gather you, people of Jerusalem, under things like a mother hen gathers her chicks. A, a motherly view of little ones is a picture of the heart of God. Um, Jesus in the parables in this chapter, he, he pictures himself as a gentle shepherd who carries the lost lamb around his neck, right? Um, and in the parable of the, the prodigal son, he's a, a father who's willing to humiliate himself by running through town to, him, to embrace his repentant yet very sinful son. So a, a question is, real simple question, how do you view God? Not in church when you're singing, but just on your own, do you see God as the slave master or as the father? Um, another, another way to put it is, is this. Do you see God as for you or against you? And I've talked to enough believers who in their heart of hearts, they would say, you know what? I don't see him as for me. I see him as against me. And here's where we need to, to be informed by Scripture. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He does not have a condemning attitude toward those who are in Christ. In fact, Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? He is for us, right? Um, I, I think um, in my life of two football coaches that I had, and one was kind of uh, from the Bobby Knight School of coaching. Um, some of you don't know who Bobby Knight was. Elizabeth actually was going to IU in Indiana when Bobby Knight was coaching. She was there when he threw a chair across uh, the court and the whole place went nuts. And he was known for being a mean coach. And I had a coach who, um, boy, we, we played more out of fear of him than anything else he would yank guys out of the game and grab them by their face mask in front of the whole crowd and yell at them he you get fired for doing that today um so i think of him as 
um, a coach who's not for you, who's against you. Then I had another coach who um, he was just as intent on winning. He loved the game of football. But you know what else you could tell? He just really loved the kids. And you could tell he was for us. And when we would lose, he would make us do extra drills, but he would do them with us because he said, I'm, I'm part of this team. It's not me against you. We're all in this together. He would lift weights with the kids, and he, you could just tell he was for you. So here's, here's the question. Which coach, and by the way, I tried to think of an of a, of a NFL coach who maybe is more like that, and here's who I thought of. I thought of Tony Dungy. Um, of the Indianapolis Colts, who he's no longer coaching, um, more of a gentle spirit. And um, he won the Super Bowl. In fact, trivia question, who did the Colts beat when Tony Dungy won the Super Bowl? Answer, the Chicago Bears, yes. Um, (laughs) But how do you see God? Do you see him as a coach against you or one who is for you, all right? So be honest in your heart of hearts, okay? Let me, uh, let me go on to uh, the second thing, uh, second mark of a Pharisee, and that is that Pharisees have a wrong view of themselves. So here's what the older brother said to his father, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you or slaved for you, and I never disobeyed your command. Now, um, you, you might think that the problem here is self-righteousness, right? I actually think the problem goes deeper than self-righteousness. In fact, the deeper problem is a theological problem that leads to an inaccurate evaluation of yourself. All right. So to explain this, let me first of all remind us of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that we are forgiven, we are accepted, and, and we are seen as perfect based not on our record, but based on what Christ has done for us. He lived a perfect life. He died an agonizing death on the cross. He rose from the dead. And the good news of the gospel is when you believe in him, when you stop trusting in yourself and you believe in him, what he did for you becomes yours. So his death pays for your sin, and his perfect record gives you a perfect record. That's that's the good news. You can be assured of salvation. You can know that God accepts you when you trust in Jesus because you get what he did for you. Now, the Pharisees were not trusting in God or in Christ. Their theology was a theology that said their behavior, their record, is what would give them standing before God. Now, 
if you have any kind of a works uh, salvation uh, or a, a view of works that your record is what makes you right before God, that will produce one of two kinds of people. And you've heard me say this many times. I'm going to say it again. If you think you're standing before God or your salvation before God is based on your record, you will either be terrified or arrogant. Your theology forces you to be one or the other, or as some may realize, one day you're one, one day you're other, you're the other. Now, why is this? If you really are earning your way out of hell and into heaven by your behavior, you can't handle the stress. So in the case of a Pharisee, and we're going to go in that direction now, in the case of a Pharisee, their theology forces them to be arrogant and think they're perfect. Right? So um, here... The, the prodigal son thinks he's never disobeyed. The apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee, he's rehearsing in Philippians 3. Um, when he used to be a Pharisee, he, he says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You say, did he really think he was blameless? I don't, I don't think he's faking it here. I think his brain said, I have to earn my status before God. God is holy. God is perfect. Therefore, I think I'm perfect, right? Um, it's, it's not just Paul the Pharisee or the older brother the Pharisee, but in the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the tax collector and the Pharisee go to the temple to pray. The, uh, the tax collector who knows he's a sinner says, Has, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he's forgiven. But the Pharisee, what does he do? He presents his record before God. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, especially like this tax collector. He, in his mind, actually thinks he is keeping the law perfectly. Remember the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, hey, how are you doing at keeping the law? And, um, well, I won't look at that, but the, the, uh, uh, the, the rich young ruler says, oh, ever since I was a child, I kept it perfectly, right? Before you'll, you'll understand the good news of the gospel as good news, you've got to let go of a theology that says I have to earn salvation or earn my acceptance before God. Your brain will then say, uh, will, will, will deceive you into justifying yourself, or, or you will go the other extreme, like Luther, and you will live in terror or you will be arrogant and, and let yourself off much easier than reality. So here's, a, here's kind of a test question to, to test pharisaical tendencies. When's the last time you sincerely apologized? If it's been a while, and I mean could be to your spouse, could be to your kids, could be to God, 
If it's been a while, might it be that you're pretty easy on yourself? And might it be because you have let a works mentality creep into your thinking and you've got to justify your behavior? Right? So Pharisees have a wrong view of God, a wrong view of self. Last thing, they have a wrong view of others. All right? Wrong view of others. So um, think about this. If I need to earn God's approval, then I must convince myself that I'm doing pretty well. For me to live up to the delusion that I'm doing well and meeting the standard, I can't hold up God's standard because his standard is perfection, right? So here's what we do. We bring the standard down to a more attainable level, and that standard is how I'm doing compared to others, right? My salvation, my survival now depends on me being better than you, right? Now, I'm not saying this is a calculated thing where you, where you even know you're doing it, but a works salvation mentality, a non-grace theology turns other people into the competition, right? Legalistic thinking turns other people, not into your brothers and sisters, but into your competitors, right? Um, that also leads to this. Legalists, because they see others as the competition, may be nice to your face, but in reality, they're cruel-hearted. Why? Because you don't love the competition. You want to see the competition fail, which is why in, in uh, Matthew 23, where Jesus talks about the Pharisees, he, say, he says, they tie up heavy burdens, okay, extra laws, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Why? Because on the outside, they're saying, oh, you know, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm for you, but here you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And secretly they're saying, I hope they, they trip and fall because I need other people to be worse than me. So um, a wrong view of others, legalism, Phariseeism leads to seeing others as the competition. Here's another thing it leads to, just being an angry person. Um, as he finds out, the older brother finds out that the younger brother has returned and there's a party being thrown for him. Um, it says he was angry, so angry he refused to go in. Why is he angry? Because this dirty, rotten, good-for-nothing brother of his is getting for free what he has had to earn right? It's not fair. So the, the, the sad thing is the father comes out and he pleads with him and he says, son, you are always with me and 
all that is mine is yours. So here, friends, the, the, the tragedy of the older brother is that his rules and his earning and his anger and his competition are all self-imposed. Everything his father has has been available the whole time. All right. One one last thing that legalism and Phariseeism produces is a love for gossip. Why? Because gossip affirms that I'm better than you. We we can secretly love it to hear bad news about other people. In fact, when the son comes home, here's what the older brother says to his father. He says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Where in the story does it even mention prostitutes? There's no, uh, there's no mention of that. Um, he thinks the worst, and he vocalizes the worst. Why? Because he needs to be better. So um, I said, let's apply this to ourselves first. And here are some questions. How do I see God against me or for me? Another question. Has it been a long time since I've apologized? Another question. Am I an angry person? Am I a cruel-hearted person? Do I deal in gossip? And, and you could say, well, I'm, I need to work on each one of these. And really the solution, guess what? It's the gospel. Now the good news is the father comes out and he pleads. He pleads with this older brother and says, come, come in. And I think God is pleading with us. And he's saying, if you see a lot of Phariseeism in yourself, drop your wrong view and turn to the Father and receive the grace of forgiveness and the grace that will dissolve all of this, right? And, and it's possible, I think, to say, well, I know this. Nothing is new. Absolutely. But we can fall into Phariseeism and we need a checkup or a reboot um, to be reminded of the grace. So run to the Father let him embrace you, receive his grace, and let him kill that Pharisee. All right, let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you that you take a simple story like this, yet it's so deep and so profound and reveals so many spiritual truths. I pray, Lord, um, that we would uh, repent of Phariseeism, repent of a wrong view of you, a wrong view of ourselves, a wrong view of others. And may we rely fully on your grace. And then, Lord, we ask for your spirit to work the fruit of the spirit in our lives, um, not by us ticking each one of these things off, but by living in grace. And uh, pray that we would be different because of the time we spent together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.